Good to keep your Bibles open at Habakkuk, uh, and we'll work as we work through it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this book. Thank you for all that it teaches us. Uh, thank you for the insight we get of Habakkuk going to God and asking his questions, and we pray that we would learn from this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> uh, have you ever asked a question uh, only to get an answer that you completely didn't expect? Uh, maybe you asked what was for dinner. Uh, you're thinking uh, probably meat and veg, uh, maybe a pasta bake or something. But tonight you are told your dinner is bugs. It's kind of a craze, right? Some people do it, right? Uh, someone in your family has decided to test out the health benefits of eating bugs, lots of protein or something like that, uh, low carbon emissions with bugs, and there's plenty of Christmas beetles around at the moment. Now you think the answer is a joke. You can't wrap your head around it. Are they serious? They sound serious, but it's so far away from what you feel that you're on your My Mac is app ordering a Big Mac uh, looking for an alternative. You're told to sit down and await your dinner. And then it comes out. Baked bugs. Lots of them. Lots of variety, but still all of them bugs. And you decide from this point, I'm cooking. Uh, so far in Habakkuk, this is the sort of thing that's happened for him, but on a, a much more serious basis. Habakkuk has come to God with his questions, wondering about what God is going to do about the, all the injustice, the violence, all the sin in Judah. And, and then uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to 11, we looked at this last week, Habakkuk is given his reply. God answered him. God was clear. God told him exactly what he was going to do. However, what God said, what God had revealed to Habakkuk, it was not an easy thing to hear. In fact, it was quite shocking. God was going to use Babylon to punish Judah. God was going to use Babylon to bring about his justice. As I said, uh, the answer is surprising. Uh, in fact, it's shocking. If being given baked bugs for, for dinner is like an 8 out of 10 shock factor, Babylon being the answer to Habakkuk's question of what God is going to do is like a 27 out of 10. Now, I don't, some people like mass people, they're like, you can't do that, but I'm just saying it's a lot. Tonight, we hear Habakkuk's response to God's response and then God's response to Habakkuk's response to God's response. Got it? Yeah, you got it. Good. We're starting at verse 12. Have a look in your Bibles. Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Now notice that from the outset, when Habakkuk questions God's answer here, he does so speaking of the character of God which has been revealed to him. He has an understanding of what God is like. Now in my Bible study, we ask the question, are we allowed to question God? Uh, Romans 9 was quoted, and we're like, ah, who are you to question God? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but then we also looked at other parts of Scripture, especially in books like Job and the Psalms, and we saw many moments of frank, open conversation between man and God about what he was doing in the world at a particular time. But what we learn from Habakkuk here is a healthy way to approach God with the things that we wrestle with with those aspects of God's good plan for this world 
and even for us, that we don't understand. In verse 12, Habakkuk recognises God's eternal nature as well as his holiness and is in this context, reflecting on God's character, that Habakkuk brings his concerns to God by questioning, why would God appoint Babylon to punish Judah? Now Habakkuk's problem is, seems to be that it doesn't this doesn't seem to align with God's character. Because as verse 13 says, Habakkuk says, God is too pure to look on evil and too holy to tolerate wrongdoing. And Babylon are beasts. They are, their ways are wretched. As a nation, Babylon represents everything that is opposed to God. And this is seen as we look at verses 14 to 17. So in these verses... We're given a bit of a picture of what Babylon's conquests look like. Uh, There's some fishing stuff in here. So if you like fishing, that's cool. You might enjoy this. Uh, Verse 14. People are treated like fish. Uh, Babylon dehumanizes people. Verse 15. The wicked foes pulls all them up with hooks. Now, as I was reading about this, I read about this neat trick that the Assyrians invented where they got like the hooks when they took someone to captivity and they put it through their lip. Then they kind of tied the people together and they marched them off with hooks between their lips like fish. And, and it seems like, cool little trick, right? No, yeah. Um, it seems like this might be something that Babylon has taken on as well. Verses 16, 17. Babylon loves this power. They worship this, this concept. And, and like a fishing net collects all that's in its path. Babylon's taking over nation after nation, consuming them, indiscriminately consuming all in its path. It's actually quite a brutal picture. And so you can understand why Habakkuk has questions. But it is important to recognise once again all of these questions are being asked in the context of a deep recognition of the character of God. Habakkuk, in one sense, is merely questioning how this action from God is consistent with how God has re- what God has revealed about himself. Now, as the words of Habakkuk come to an end uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, we see here Habakkuk is positioning himself to receive a response. So Habakkuk here speaks in terms of keeping watch. I feel like I can keep him watch up here. I can look at, uh, but he's finding himself a place where he can see the best vantage point. It's like being in a watchtower, a place where he can see what's coming and going a place where he can see the whole picture. Habakkuk is ready for however God responds. He really sincerely wants to hear the answer of God. And the word complaint can also be understood in the context of rebuke. And so Habakkuk here is ready to be rebuked if he's got it wrong or spoken out of turn. But also, he's God's prophet. We've seen this in this book, he goes to God and it's a conversation between him and God. But he has a role to pass this on to the nation. So he also wants to know the message so he can pass God's message on to the nation. Habakkuk here shows us a good example of having the right posture towards God. I reckon often as humans, we don't understand when we don't understand what God is doing in this world and when we don't like what God is doing in this world uh, and possibly... Even more personally, we don't like what God is doing in our life. A posture can become like one standing over someone 
Posture towards God can be like coming like someone standing over someone who's in trouble. Right, so it's like my dog picks up a tissue, don't pick up that tissue. Leave it, sit, all those sorts of things. She eats a tissue anyway. Um, but sometimes we can have that sort of approach to God. I, I want you to make things happen how I want them. But we, we want his plans to work around how we want things to work. Habakkuk, though, he comes in humility with an understanding of the attributes of God, the nature and character of God, and he's willing to hear what God has to say. So what does God say? Have a look at chapter 2, verses 2 to 20, God's reply. starts in verse 2. It says, Write down this revelation on plain tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now, the tablets do remind us of the concept of the Ten Commandments, and the reasoning for them seems to be twofold. Firstly, this message is to be heralded. It's to be passed on. It's not just a private conversation between Habakkuk and God. This message is to go out or to even to run out into the land of Judah. Secondly, uh, verse 3 indicates that there'll be a lag time in this happening. When it comes, it'll come quickly, but there'll be a lag time. This judgment on Judah will come at the time God appointed, and so this message from God is written down to preserve it. Now, this way, the people of Judah don't get like halfway down the track and just like, did Habakkuk really say that Babylon would overtake us? Maybe he said that Babylon would take, we would take over Babylon. Oh. There's a concreteness in the written word. By writing it down, the, the message can't so easily be muddled over the course of time. But also, the full fulfilment of what God says here is going to happen over time. And if verse 4 points us to Jesus, which I really believe it does, then the ultimate fulfilment is actually hundreds of years away. Let's have a look at these two verses, verse 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, there is a contrast between Babylon-type people and the true people of God. In these verses, God speaks of pride, of arrogance, of drunkenness and greed. This is the sinful heart, the sinful nation that rejects God and his ways and at this point in time, many in Judah are in a very similar place to that of Babylon. They look very much like Babylon, as in the picture of Judah is mostly one of unfaithfulness to God. But in contrast to this, second half of verse, verse 4, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, or the righteous person will live by faith. For those who are first reading this, uh, for Judah, uh, for those like Daniel who gets called into the service of the king of Babylon when Babylon overtakes Judah. Now, this is a call to faithfulness. The contrast is between death and life. Those who follow in the footsteps of Babylon, they will face death. They will face the grave. Those like Daniel and his mates, who refuse to bow the knee to idols, who refuse to compromise their faith in God, they will have life even if their faith costs them their lives. And, and although they may not exactly at this point know exactly what is going on here and how this is going to come about, this picture is a picture of hope for those who stand firm. Now for us, on the other side of the cross, this clearly points us towards the work of Christ. So both in Romans and in Galatians, Paul picks up on this idea of a righteousness of faith and links it to Jesus. 
Romans 3.21 says this, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul here talks about how, through what Jesus has done, we can be made right with God. Our sin, our shame, our wretched deeds are paid for by Jesus on the cross. We receive the mercy, kindness, the grace of God through faith, faith in Jesus. And when God works in our life, and it's his work, when he works in our life in such a way where we put our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, the consequence for our sins have been paid for by Jesus, and instead of facing death and judgment, we can look forward to the eternal life that God promises us. Now, though the, the original readers or hearers didn't have the detail of all this, the second half of verse 4 here is a glimpse of the hope that we fully know. That hope is Jesus. But it's only for those who stand firm and keep faithful to God. Those who don't, those who oppose God in his ways, they will face the consequences for that. And this was the case for Babylon. In verses 6 to 20, we see how God, uh, he reveals a way in which he's going to remain true to his character after he uses Babylon to punish Judah. Verses 6 speaks of the downfall of Babylon. It paints a picture of people ridiculing them and mocking them when they lose their earthly power that they've won unjustly. Now the point here is that just like every earthly kingdom, although it looks like Babylon might go on and on and on because they're really strong, right? On and on causing destruction all over the place. A time will come when God will humble them as well. So this story is not a, not, a, not a case of evil winning. This is a case of God's justice coming in his own timing and as part of his bigger and more perfect plan. Uh, the ridicule and mocking of verse 6 is expressed in five woes, uh, which act as something of like a funeral march against Babylon and also a condemnation of the unjust ways. Now we're going to go through these uh, relatively quickly but it is worth thinking about how these things might apply to us or even to our nation and reflecting upon that as we go through. Woe number one, verses six to eight. It speaks against unjust gain. They make themselves rich by stealing and by extortion. Babylon will pay for what they've done. Verse eight says of Babylon, because you have plundered many, they will plunder you. Woe 2, verses 9, 9 to 11, is similar. It's speaking against their unjust gain. Woe 3, verse 12 to 14, speaks against the blood that they've shed, the lives that they have taken along this journey. Woe 4, verses 15 to 17, it speaks of Babylon taking advantage of those around them, getting people drunk and looking in on their nakedness. And woe 5, 18 to 19 speaks of the false worship. 
the worship of lifeless and, and worthless idols rather than the worship of the true God. Now in contrast to the fate of Babylon and, and the fate of their gods, which are not real gods at all, comes verse 20. And verse 20 here is a picture of God reigning in heaven. And so the assurance for Habakkuk here is that God is still in control and he knows what he's doing. His sovereign plan for this world and for his people is well underway and this is just another revelation of what God is doing in this world to draw people back to himself. Now the call for silence here, it's a divine call to his people to hush, to quiet down, to be ready for what he's going to do. Now what we know from God's word and from history is that Babylon does overtake Judah. If you look at the uh, end of 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, that's your homework for this week, uh, you will see uh, this story. If we look at Daniel 1 to 4, what we see is that a faithful few stand firm. God's mighty power is on display even at the time when people look to be, his people look to be at their most vulnerable. And in Daniel 5, we see that God does indeed bring about the downfall of Babylon. Their arrogance, their wickedness is not left unpunished. If we fast forward, a bunch of things happen in between, but if we fast forward, go to the Gospels. Jesus appears on the scene. And here we see God do something very similar to what he does with Babylon. When Babylon takes over Judah, God uses a nation who has evil intent to bring about his purposes and his plan for his people. In the Gospels, God uses people with wicked and evil motives to arrest Jesus, to beat him. These people make up lies about Jesus. They cry out, crucify him, in order to get him sentenced to death on a cross. And from an earthly point of view, at this point, kind of looks like they win because Jesus, God's only son, is nailed to a Roman cross and crucified. It's not the case, but it looks like evil has won him. But that's not the end of the story. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to more than 500 people over a period of 40 days and then ascended to heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection it's a foundation for Christian hope. His death paid the price for the sins of his people. His resurrection declares loudly the victory over sin and death that he's won for us on the cross. And his ascension, well, it comes with this promise that one day he will come back to judge the living and the dead. So it's another story of how God, in his good and sovereign plan, used those with evil intentions to bring about justice but here also to bring about forgiveness. For some of us, the message of this passage should confront us. For some of us, this passage challenges us about our place before God. For much of Judah, for, for Babylon, for many in our town, and maybe for some of us here, we live lives in opposition to God. And if this is you, if you are not so much living by faith in Jesus, but rather faith in anything but Jesus, then you are in real danger of facing the very real consequences of sin 
the sin that you are holding on to. The encouragement of this passage, knowing that Jesus is coming back, is to turn from death to life, to take hold of the righteousness of God, the righteousness that God offers us through faith in Jesus. Now for others of us here, this message should comfort us. The faith in Jesus that God has given us means that we are right with God and that all the promises of God that are given to his people in the New Testament, they're true for us. These promises include Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This is the assurance that we have when we put our faith in Jesus. When through faith in Jesus we have been declared right with God because of what Jesus has done, we can be assured that whatever we endure, and you might be going through something that's testing you right now, and even when we just don't get why God is doing what he's doing, we can be assured if we have faith in Jesus that God's sovereign plan is good and that he works for our ultimate good in everything. Let us pray. Now, Lord God, we thank you for the message of Habakkuk. We thank you for the insight into this conversation between him and God. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would uh, help us to put our faith in you, to help us all to, to trust in you. Uh, Lord God, there may be many things going on in the lives of this group of people here, many things that we wrestle with, many things that we don't understand why it's going the way it's going. Uh, Lord God, help us to wrestle well, uh, but help us to ultimately trust you and your good promises and your sovereign plan. In Jesus' name, amen.